Welcome, everyone. It's, uh, it's been a little while since I've been able to look out and see so many faces looking at I don't actually know where to look now. Um, I've been kind of looking at four or five faces and, and then the camera. I keep forgetting the camera. Um, but it's so good to actually be able to welcome you back into service physically. Um, I'm just really happy to see everyone. I don't really know where I'm going with that. I'm just so happy. <laughs> um, Hey, our passage kicks off on a bit of an ominous note. You would have thought, um, I would have read the room a little bit and gone with maybe a softer passage. Um, But it kicks off with this really ominous note, announcing that the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. You know, let's just let that sink in. Let that sink in. Just think about what that means to you. The end of all things is near. You know, two weeks ago, I posed a question to you. Um, I don't know if you remember during the sermon. What would you do if you had 24 hours left here on this earth? You knew that you had 24 hours left. What would be the thing that you turn to? And when we're faced with the final hours, we tend to do what's most important to us. We tend to see the people that are most important to us. And during that time, we saw how Jesus, he washed his disciples' feet as he watched his, t- his time drawing nearer and nearer. Before we get into the message today, let's pray. And then we'll take a look at First Peter. Father God, what a blessing your presence is to us. Your son is God manifest here on this earth. Your spirit is God with us here in our hearts, God. Even when we couldn't be physically together, there you were with us all along, leading us, guiding us, restoring us, completing us, taking all that we are and giving us all that you are. And what a gift that is. As we come together today, uh, whether here in person or online, we pray that you would continue to knit us together by your spirit. You would help us to turn to you and you would help us, Lord, to lay down all that we are, that our hearts might be open to you, to the word that you have for us from 1 Peter. We pray that you would open up our ears that we might be able to hear you in a new and fresh way, in ways that we hadn't considered before and perhaps in ways that remind us of how good you are. Remind us of what your son did for us. Help us, Lord, to glean wisdom from you. Guide us. Move our hearts once again. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our passage uh, starts us off. The end of all things is near. And when you think about that, when you had a moment to think about that, what did you think of? The end of all things is near. You know, perhaps you're a visual person, you can kind of picture it in your minds. The end of all things being near. Or perhaps you're more of a a words person and you just have all these words popping up in front of you as you think about that phrase. I think these days, a pretty prevalent image in our culture is a bit of a dystopian future. You know, kind of like everything's gone to waste. You know, you see cities that are all ruined. 
you see all these images in popular culture of everything that we've ever known being changed. Like, this is a pretty popular image, right? Like, you watch movies, you watch TV shows, and there's so many things about cities just wasted. You know, there's buildings that are crumbling, people that are wasting away. If that was the case, there would be no more jobs because we're just trying to survive. And then the only ones who are able to survive are the ones that are able to adapt, making themselves like warriors. You know, getting rid of the normal things of life. And in order to survive, they make themselves a bit extraordinary. I think this image, though, is a pretty classic example of allowing speculation to rule our minds, to dictate our thoughts, allowing popular culture to lead the conversation rather than what we know to be true, and then getting swept away with it. Now, number one, when we think about the end being near, it's pointing to the fact that the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus has already begun for us the final cycle of history. Okay, history kind of goes in a few cycles, and we're currently living in the last days. So the end, as it's talked about here in 1 Peter, it's not a singular event that we look to in the future, like the apocalypse. We're not thinking about one singular event that we worry about, but instead, it's talking about the current time that we live in. We are in the final days. Number two, when the Bible talks about the very end of all history, and it does quite often, you know, in books like Romans, Philippians, Hebrews, James, Revelation, it's never to say, let's try to figure out when exactly the Lord Jesus is coming back and bringing him with him these last days. It's never trying to say, hey, go out and stock up on all the goods because they're all going to run out. Let's huddle around, you know, that last campfire with this last can of beans. Okay, it's never saying that. It's always encouraging you, go back to the gospel. Go back to the good news that you once knew, the fundamental truth of grace. Wake up from the things of this world and focus on the things of God. Live in normal, everyday holiness in your pursuit of God. That's what it's talking about. Consider for comparison this passage from Matthew 24. Matthew 24 reads this. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you read that, what's the task of the faithful servant at the time when the Lord returns at the very end? 
What's the task of the faithful servant? It's to do his job, to do what's expected of him. And this is very liberating news if you think about it. Do what you're asked of as a Christian. See, because the end is near, we as followers of Christ are called to live in a godly way. Not withdrawing from the world and creating our own Christian communes where we only interact with Christians. No, that's not the way that we're being asked to live. We're not being told, hey, go quit your job now, now that the end is near, and look at the sky and just wait for Jesus to return. Wait for any sign. No. But the imminent end, it should get us ready. It should, in a way, it should hype us up to make the remainder of our lives all about Jesus, to live out what it means to be a Christ follower and to make the rest of our lives count for something. This type of thinking, it's not going to make a lot of sense for those that consider the end of all things to be reason for us to prepare for disaster. It's going to look so weird to a lot of people in this world. People are expecting that the end of all things would push us to act in extraordinary ways. They'll be expecting that the end times would demand something more unusual of us. And if you really think about it, they're right. It's true. Because while the end might make the world look to store up goods, prepare for doomsday by boarding up their windows, you ever see doomsday preppers? They stockpile guns and run drills about what's going to happen when people start rushing their houses. Then they'll look at Christ followers, see us continuing to carry out our pursuit of Christ. And they'll think, that's unusual. That doesn't seem right. Hypothetically, let's rewind back one year. Okay, think back to when coronavirus was new and not exciting, but a little bit more frightening. And it was like, oh man, like people were rushing the woolly shelves and coal shelves, stockpiling. You guys see this on the news, right? You, you guys have seen this. Compare the responses of those who panic. Perhaps you were one of those people as well. Buying more toilet paper than is necessary. Buying canned goods and thinking, this is the end, I'm sure of it. We're going to go. And if I'm going to go, I'm going to have a lot of beans, a lot of toilet paper, I'm going to be okay. And then compare the person who continues to pursue holiness in Jesus, giving away goods to those in need, loving neighbors, and not feeling overly stressed about the end to come. This, this response looks extraordinary. This response looks very odd and maybe even a little bit ridiculous. But it's very normal for a follower of Christ to carry on as things have been. Living for Christ means we're always prepared for the end because godly lives are normal lives. The way that you live in a godly way is the way that you live in a normal way. 
Martin Luther, perhaps you've heard of him. He was a monk, a priest, and most famously a reformer of the church. When he was asked what he would do if the end came today, he replied, he would plant a tree and pay his taxes. See, in Luther's mind, every Christian is supposed to be living today in light of the end. Every single day is looking to the very end of all things. And so he would go ahead and do what he had planned to do that day. It wasn't going to change his rhythm. And so here in our passage in 1 Peter, the end of all things is near. We're told to pursue virtues that seem quite normal, quite typical of the Christian life. Peter tells us, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Maintain constant love for one another. Be hospitable without complaints. And use your gifts to serve others. All of these are aspects of the Christian life that are normal to our everyday living. This is the way we're always supposed to live. We're always supposed to be praying. We're always supposed to be alert and so reminded for that prayer. We're always supposed to be maintaining a love for one another, and so on and so forth. But today, we're going to be focusing especially on serving. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. What does it mean to serve others? That word already has so many connotations. When you think about serving, what does that mean to you? Serving one another means ministering in the gifts you have received by God's grace. You've received gifts, so use them. Peter breaks things up very helpfully into two distinct sections, two distinct categories. He says, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. So speaking gifts, whether in encouraging others, in teaching, in prayer, do these things through God's words rather than sharing your own experience or wisdom. Because that is the temptation, isn't it? We want to talk about our own experience and not God's words. Peter goes on, if anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. So, look to one another. See who's in need. Provide meals for them. Help those in financial need. Visit those in prison. Serve one another. Now, specifically, at this church, at New Life, we have a few different ministries I love the way that Albert's been presiding. He's actually highlighted all of the ministries. And you can be a part of these different ministries, and they'll actually allow you to serve in the gifts that God has given to you. We have all received at least one spiritual gift, Peter tells us here. Just as each one has received a gift, everyone has a gift. Maybe you're gifted in communicating through design and art. Then creative ministry might be for you. Or maybe you love to be a part of the culture that we're creating here at New Life, of making everyone feel welcome. Then Sunday team might be the right place for you. 
There's a whole bunch of different ministries that you might be a part of, and you might not even know it yet. Whatever your gift, wherever you find, you want your heart to grow in. We have a place for you where you can take part in serving one another. And you'll notice, I didn't necessarily say what your heart yearns for. Because Jesus is very clear in Matthew 24 when he told his disciples, maintain constant love for one another. He recognized love grows cold. And he countered this by encouraging us. No, stoke the fires of this love in our hearts. Desire to love more. Desire to grow in this love. So don't just go where your heart leads. Go also where you want your heart to grow. A little while ago, um, we were listening to praise together. We're not allowed to sing together at this moment. But asking, why should we serve, is a bit like asking, why should our praise leader, Josh, sing? Well, he's been given this incredible voice as a gift. So doesn't it make sense for him to use it to help others to worship God in song? And just like that, why should we serve? Because we've received gifts from God. The point of us receiving these gifts is to serve one another, to help our brother and sister, to strengthen their faith. If I can go on a bit of an aside here, I think today was the first time that I can remember where we were singing praise together, singing worship together, and I could listen to these guys all day. So there's nothing, there's no slight against this, you know, worship team. But something inside of me felt a little bit cold, a little bit like I missed something here. I think if you watch some movements of the songs, it kind of makes sense because we started out with just Stella's voice singing in that first song. And then as the songs went on, we had a couple more voices join in. And as the songs ended, that's how it remained. None of our voices could join in. And just like that, I felt cold, I felt distant. It's the same as this church. When we serve, we need to be a part of things. We need to all join in. Otherwise, we will be cold and distant. I look forward to the day when we can sing together again. And until that time, we can continue to serve together. Now, when you think about why you should serve, the purpose of these gifts being to serve one another, this might be really jarring to you. If you've grown up in today's culture, you know, I think the consumerist, capitalist mindset, uh, the mentality pushes us to see the purpose of all things to be in categories of, well, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? The constant question we face in this world is how do we stand to benefit? How can we make our strengths work for us? How can we make money off our gifts? How do we gain influence? These are the questions that are ringing through everyone's minds. But the Bible is very clear. Gifts are given to us 
that we can minister and strengthen others. Not to strengthen ourselves, but to strengthen others. And this is hard, but it'll become exponentially easier when you begin to grow in your theology of understanding God's sovereignty. What's sovereignty? It's talking about God's rule over our lives. We tend to think of our gifts as our own because we tend to think of our lives as our own. We think maybe we have these gifts because we were just born lucky or because we developed and strengthened these gifts. And perhaps there's an element of this involved. But who's the maker of the life that you were so lucky to be born into? Who's the one who gave you the mind and the heart to work at and develop and strengthen these gifts? It's the Lord. He's sovereign over our lives. Peter, in our passage today, he's quite clear. We are stewards of these gifts. Stewards, meaning God has entrusted these gifts to us because he loves us. Remember, as followers of Christ, remember what we talked about. We're his body. We've been talking about this for well well over a month, right? We're carriers of the eternal life that is in Jesus, which means God entrusts us with the gift of life, that we can share the good news of grace with the world. Remember this? The spiritual gifts we've been given are similar, in a sense, to the gift of life that we've been given. They're not our own to say that we earned, but instead, they're the gifts that we steward in order to encourage and edify others. What does this mean? Well, at the core, gifts, they're not a privilege. They're not something that we're entitled to. When scripture talks about each one has been given a gift, it's not like, oh, good, I'm entitled to it. No. At the core, they're a responsibility. The purpose of these gifts is to serve others, to strengthen others by helping them in the ways that God has given to us. We're responsible over these gifts that we can serve others. Last October, uh, we had Pastor Matt Kang come. He guest preached to us here at New Life. And he mentioned something called word of mouth marketing. Do you guys remember this? Last October, he talked about word of mouth marketing. And Pastor Matt talked about how everything that he's been doing or has bought in the past few years has been due to other people who have loved something and told him about it. And so he goes out and buys it or does it himself. And Pastor Matt, if you've ever met him, he's one of the most natural evangelists that I know. He loves to share about something that he loves. I think at the core of us, though, we're all evangelists. We're all made to naturally want to talk about the things that we love, the things that have affected us. This is at the heart of service to one another as well. We are those who have received good gifts from God. And so the most human, normal thing to do in pursuit of godliness is to serve others with these gifts in order to point others to the giver of these gifts. 
It's the only thing that makes sense. Because if these gifts are fundamentally a responsibility and not an entitlement, if God gives them to us out of trust and expects that we'll be faithful managers over them, then by us faithfully managing them, by stewarding our gifts, we give glory to God. When those who are gifted to speak, speak God's words rather than their own, when those who are gifted to serve do so by God's strength rather than their own, then God gets all the glory because he's the one who provided the wisdom and the strength for that ministry. As we wrap up our sermon time today, I ask you, speak to God about the gifts that he's given. Perhaps you already know what these gifts are, and you just kind of need God to move your heart towards service. If that's the case, ask him today, as we finish, convict my heart, move my heart towards that service. Or perhaps you're someone who doesn't know your gift yet. Ask God to reveal it to you and ask God to allow your heart to grow for serving in that gift. And pray also for our ministries here at New Life. We're gonna introduce them in a few minutes and I'm gonna have all the different ministry directors actually introduce their ministries as well. And so you'll get a little bit of a taste of what we're all about when it comes to serving at New Life. So during our announcement time, pray for these ministries, pray for the ministry directors over them as well. Okay. How about we pray together? Father, you are a good father. You're one who doesn't withhold anything from us, even as we are rebellious children, often withholding our gifts from the world. At great cost to yourself, you even gave your son that we might benefit that he might die on our behalf for our sins, but that you would accept that sacrifice and give us forgiveness instead. Thank you, Lord, that you don't withhold. And thank you, Lord, that you make us more and more into your image, that we might also be able to share our gifts, that we might also be the ones that strengthen others, that reach out to others. And in this, in giving Jesus to us, what a sacrifice it is, and yet it speaks to your glory. We couldn't do it on our own, but in our salvation, we give glory to you because of what you've done. In the same way, I ask that you would move our hearts towards service in the gifts that you've given to us. That in serving one another in these last days, in doing so by your wisdom rather than our own, in doing so by your strength rather than our own, that we might give glory to you. May your name be glorified. 
move our hearts towards service, God. Convict our hearts towards the places that you want us to be in. Throw our hearts for this church, for other people, not for ourselves. And for those of us who are still unsure of what it is that you've gifted to us, we ask that you would reveal these things to us and grow our heart as well towards servanthood in them. We also want to pray for our ministries here at New Life as we enter into another year. We pray that you would strengthen the ministry directors, that they would not run by their own strength, but their youth would be renewed, that you would continue to strengthen them, restore to them their strength, that they might be energized for another year ahead of serving your body. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.